The greatness of a community is most accurately measured by the compassionate actions of its leaders, members, and contributors. Every week, your host, CEO of Two Small Men with Big Hearts, Stu Starkey, shines the light on a community to raise awareness of their leaders, members, and contributors. So together, we can create positive impact, inspire change, and help those in need of assistance at a grassroots level. Welcome to the community of Big Hearts. Welcome back, everybody, to the community of Big Hearts. Uh, as always, we're here to have conversations to try and make uh, the community better for us and everyone in it. Um, so this week, we have Nicole from Clinic. Excited to, uh, to dive into a conversation about what they do. Shine a spotlight on them because uh, from the research I've done, they are extraordinarily impactful uh, for those um, in some pretty severe situations. So Nicole, without uh, further ado, um, what does Clinic do? So Clinic's a community health center and there's community health centers all over the world. So I like to talk about community health centers because I think the model in itself is really, really exciting. Um, so we're members of the Canadian Association of Community Health Centers and the International Association. And one of the great things about community health centers is everyone is a little different. Um, and I think clinic in particular is a little different. Um, but what we do is we offer primary care and uh, mental health care um, and community health care to members of our community. And at clinic, we define our community as both geographical, which is um, uh, for for our primary care, it's the area of downtown Winnipeg, um, but also it can be communities um, or populations that um, that have certain needs or or certain areas of attachment. So um, we offer. Um, uh, counseling and crisis services pretty much provincially. So we offer uh, crisis lines uh, across the province, um, trauma counseling provincially. Um, we specialize in sexual assault uh, follow-up and counseling. Um, our primary care focuses on mental health and addiction needs, um, but it also offers uh, primary care for all kinds of things. And, and by primary care, I mean um, typical medical services. So what you would, you would see, so it could be a physician, it could be a nurse practitioner, a nurse, but it's, it's true team-based care. So it also includes dietitians and social workers. Um, and, and it's for people who may have um, higher level of needs or, or barriers to accessing traditional medical services or fee-for-service kinds of of services in our community. Um, we have other specialized services like we operate the Provincial Trans Health Program. Um, what else? What have I missed? Community development. Um, it's, a, it's an active place. Clinic does a lot of things. Sounds like it. So do you, do you guys, um, so you're there and exist because there's a need for um, a, a population where they can't afford Psych psychological services and, and others, and you guys step in to provide those for those who can't afford? So our services are free, um, for sure, yeah. Um, so for mental health services in particular, that's important because lots of mental health services aren't. Um, so 
that's for sure true. Um, so any of our counseling services, we would be providing those free of charge and that includes all of our crisis-based home line services. Um, yeah, so, uh, and that also includes um, mental health access type services that we do through our, our medical clinics, including addiction services. Um, we, we run a mobile withdrawal uh, program, which is pretty innovative. It's where we support people who need help to detox from substances at home. Um, so uh, we support people to do that at home or um, sometimes in short-term treatment beds that we operate in partnership with the, the Addictions Foundation of Manitoba. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of different things. Um, you hit on something that's really important in our healthcare system, though we talk about universal healthcare, the reality is mental healthcare is very, very rarely universal. In Canada, a lot of things actually cost money. Hmm. Um, I, I love what I get to do. Um, I love to get, I get to talk to organizations like yourself and learn that these options are out there and, and find out that there is care for those in need. And it's amazing to feel that the community, when it senses that there's a gap, finds a way to fill in and help those in need. It, that's such a comforting feeling knowing that community comes together. Um, and I'm so happy that you're doing what you do because that is an absolute critical thing. I can't imagine going through a mental health crisis and not being able to um, afford the care that's needed. So I uh, appreciate you coming in and doing that. Your field of uh, expertise and what clinic does, what's the, I know it's gonna be difficult to nail it down to a main issue. What's the main issue or, or, or issues that um, are at hand causing you guys to be struggling with this one? Um, what, what's the main issue um, at hand in our community that's causing the need for clinic? The amount of people that right now uh, can't access what they need. Some of that is COVID. Um, so the impact of COVID on community has been huge um, and it will be longstanding after COVID is gone. Um, so I think, I think for a lot of folks, they don't recognize what a devastating impact it's had on um, the most marginalized and vulnerable communities. Um, and, and by that, I don't mean the illness itself. I mean, I mean the closures, I mean um, the isolation, I mean all of those things. So access to service and barriers to service have been massive um, groups uh, and that people normally rely on, services people normally rely on have disappeared, food security issues, people's ability to access food. Um, obviously jobs have disappeared, the people had um, uh, and funding sources. Um, we know that use and that, that drug use has changed and behavior has changed um, and that risks have increased and that there's more, there's been more harmful outcomes. So there's certainly an increase in overdose um, deaths that we haven't just, as we were discussing that we haven't seen before in Winnipeg in the same way. So a much higher use of opiates uh, in Winnipeg. Um, I worry about that a lot. 
um, I worry about, sorry. What, what is it about, um, like, I assume it, it's that loneliness that's coming from COVID and some distress from not having those basic needs uh, being able to be met. What is having people turn to opiates? Is it a cheaper drug? Is it just wanting to um, handle the pain? Uh, I, I guess you guys are probably the most qualified to, to answer that. People who use drugs are most qualified to speak about their experiences, but I mean, everybody's story is different. Um, the, 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 just like any other uh, supply and demand, the logistics of drugs have changed um, in Canada and in our city and that in itself with border closures have changed. So the kinds of drugs we have in Winnipeg have changed. Um, so that's one thing. Um, so we're seeing a, a rapidly shifting um, change in what's on the street um, and what's in the drugs, um, what's being made locally, those kinds of things. So the ability to test drugs would be huge. We need more ability for people to be able to test their own drugs for safety. Um, uh, and that's, that's something a lot of jurisdictions are doing that we still are pretty hampered here to do. Um, but um, you know, that's, that's a big issue. I think you're right. I think loneliness and isolation issues and um, play into it for sure. I think, um, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, we tend to stigmatize substance use. These substances are good substances. These substances are bad substances because, you know, we all drink wine on the weekend and we all, you know what I mean? Um, so we work really hard at clinic to not do that, to not say, well, opiates are bad. This is good. This right. is whatever. Most people use substances in some way. Um, right. And so what do we know about the pandemic? Most people say they're using more substances. Most people say they're drinking more, or they're using more other substances. Um, and that's definitely impacting our population. Um, and most people will say that their mental health has suffered during this pandemic. Um, and that we can expect that people are just going to pull out of that. Um, and if people were already vulnerable, they're definitely more so. Um, so so that impacts the populations we work with and it definitely impacts the service providers. Tell me a little bit, you mentioned supply and demand and I'm curious about um, clinic. Um, how big is your organization? How many staff do you have? And, um, and what's the demand? Um, how many people are you helping? Yeah, so we have about I mean, uh, we have a lot of casual and part-time staff because of our, our um, crisis line. So our numbers tend to change a lot. So I always feel like I can't answer this question well, but we have about a, a about 150 plus staff. Um, and then uh, about the same amount of volunteers, which is what I find kind of amazing. Wow. Um, and the majority of our volunteers are, are attached to our crisis lines. Um, so clinic operates, um, nine different crisis or nine different phone line services. Um, and, uh, and many of those have um, volunteers attached to them. So for every staff member we have um, working on a crisis line, we can have two volunteers attached and working with them. They go through really rigorous training and they're supporting them. So they're a big part of our staffing complement um, and really a, a, a super important part of our response. So I missed, I've forgotten the second part of the question. 
So what's the, um, what's the demand on your organization? How many people are you helping? Uh, so it's different in different parts of the organization. So across our crisis lines, we take about 160 calls a day, about 45,000 calls a year. Um, so it's a it's a pretty significant one. We have about 3,000 active uh, pa uh, patients or clients in our medical services. Um, so that's just in our what we call panel clients. So those are people that um, have like their assigned uh, physician or nurse practitioner with us. So that doesn't include people that are coming to us for um, same day uh, sexual health clinics or those kinds of things. Um, our counseling services have just under 500 active clients. So, you know, uh, a lot, a lot of people, yeah. those don't include any of our same day. We, we have about uh, just over 2,500 walk-in counseling clients a year. Um, so yeah, it, the numbers are high. We work with a lot of folks. You know, I think everyone's got this experience in 2020 <laughs> when you're talking with people and you're saying, oh, you know, 2020 is a year we're looking to get behind us. And I imagine, um, I, I don't think a more or fitting time to talk about that, um, is with you. I'm sure you're seeing it and feeling it more than, um, anybody else. So, um, I'm wondering though, if you can share some stats or some stories on impact that that's kind of moved you and would move our listeners. I mean, I think actually one of the stats that's really been hardest on us um, in terms of impact of the pandemic is we lost 50% of our volunteer workforce in 2020. Um, and uh it doesn't mean that we want everybody to run out and volunteer uh, for clinic, but I'll just talk about the why. Um, it was part of it, it was stay at home orders, right? Um, and how people are impacted about that, particularly if their health is vulnerable. Part of it is our, our ability to space people out in our rooms um, and have them on site at at uh, the office so they have to space out in the room so we can't have as many people on site at a time including as many volunteers um, we couldn't run as many trainings so our volunteers go through a really intensive training um, which does need to some of that can't all be virtual some of that needs to be on site using the equipment the phones all of those things we had to stop those completely in the spring so we weren't able to bring as many new volunteers that's actually going to put us behind for a long time um, so that was a bit of an issue um, or a significant one so that's been a really impactful stat for us in terms of being yeah. able to manage in the same way is that we've had to bring up the amount of staff that are working and casual staff. Um, and we've been really working hard to be creative in terms of moving more of our crisis services remote, or at least remote throughout our building, um, mm -hmm. so that we can space our staff out and keep them safe um, and start bringing volunteers back. Um, so you're not alone there. Um, yeah, I think lots of people are having to be creative and figure out how to go virtual. And um, yeah, I, I, I'm really, uh, really interested. And I'm sure our listeners are in hearing the positive impact stories and, and stats, if you have them on the uh, that impact the community positively, or how you've had impact on a single single life. That's a really impactful story. 
Yeah, so I think one of the things that I'm most proud of that we've done at clinic, so we moved, first of all, we moved clinic in the middle of a pandemic, which I think, I, I don't know, I feel like that goes on the resume, but um, <laughs> we've been planning this move for years, um, and we were slated to move in in July 2020. And so our project completed on time and we moved um, our organization. And I'm, it was something to do. And I'm so grateful we were able to do it because I, it would have been very difficult for us to do our work in this environment, in our old space where we were so crowded. Um, and people, the response to our new space when people are are able to come in is so um, wonderful to see. And so some of the things I'm so proud of is we have never, we've never closed. Um, we've stayed open through this. Um, we've, we've done lots of adaptation. Um, and not only have we never closed um, in December, we actually moved some of our services to be what we've seen as the biggest gap is these closures. And so we now run same day services seven days a week um, and do walk-in services. Um, and so uh, anybody can walk into clinic and we, we prefer they call ahead, but they can get same day services um, from our medical team and access our counseling services. Um, so that's something that we've done in response to the pandemic closures. And the response that we've gotten from individuals on that is amazing. Like I, I, I mean, we've, we've seen, had people come in and first of all, I can't tell you how many of those people have come in and been symptomatic for COVID that weren't going for testing. Um, and so it's just, it, it really does tell you how much of the most vulnerable population is not getting where they need to go. So there's many people that we've had, you know, we've gone through processes and been able to um, properly assess because we're also a COVID assessment site. Clinic also took that on really? in the pandemic. Yep, that's part oh. of what, what we took on. So um, being able to co-locate those things has been really amazing. So the stories cool. we've heard are things like, you know, I came in here with this, I got really high level medical care. I, and now I know I, and I, I, I know I have this and I know what to do, or I was able to access shelter and I had nowhere to go. Um, so, I mean, they've been really kind of impactful to me. That same day service must be really helpful for those in need. I mean, when you're having a mental health issue, I imagine for some, they don't know they're going to have it in seven days from now. Um, yep. When they're having it, they're having it to be able to come in and open, be creative and solve that problem, I imagine is having quite a bit of impact. Well, and yeah, and just so many people are having medical issues and every door is closed, right? Nobody can get in to anywhere. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's really, it's really been something. I think when I, can I tell you one of my favorite clinic stories? Please do. It was when we were in the old building and it was just such a moment. It's just, I always think about it because it makes me laugh. So we were in the old building and it was a, a fellow that came in and was in really rough shape, but the, the story was, uh, quite so he had been hit by a car um, which is not a funny story but he was okay so I want to end this with he was okay <laughs> um, long time client um, had been hit by a car cab immediately pulled over and said hey 
buddy, let me take you to the hospital. Guy climbs into the cab and he says, don't take me to the hospital, take me to clinic. I don't want to go to the clinic will fix me up. I don't want to go to the hospital. <laughs> it's just, and so he just showed up and they did, they fixed him up. He was fine. Um, but I just, to me, it, it just is such a, a, a testament to the relationship that um, folks have with our staff that are served by them. And, and I, it was such, it's just a story. I still reflect on it. It makes me smile. Yeah. That's a great story. Um, I think that's what I'm going to do next time. I'm having. Yeah, an no, <laughs> you, you have to become a client. Well, no, well, actually, now we have the same. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, come Nicole on said down. I'm come. I'm coming yeah, in. Nicole said, she said on the podcast, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Nicole, what got you into this? Well, I'm a, I'm a social worker. Uh, so that's my background. And uh, I've worked in mental health for quite a while now. I, uh, before I was with clinic, I was the executive director of the Canadian Mental Health Association here. <laughs> and um, I, I often, I had worked in, in partnership for clinic for, for a long time, for many years. We had a lot of joint projects um, because clinic does so much. Um, and I, I, when this role came up, I remember just thinking that's, that's a great place that I want to go next. And so that's, that's how I got here. Yeah. That's seven years or just, I'm in my seventh year. Seems like a really great fit for you. Yeah, I really, it's a great organization. And one of the things that I really love about it actually is the breadth of the mandate. Um, mm -hmm. I love that there's so, you know, clinic operates from a, a values base of social justice. Um, and I love that, that that gives us a very wide breadth of which to view that from. Um, so I really appreciate that. Speaking of that, like you guys are there for the community in so many ways. Um, but what we want to ask of all of our guests here is how can the community help you? Well, we just, we were doing a campaign over the holidays. Actually, I was talking about um, the reduction of volunteers uh, for us and, and just the, the need to go remote. Um, so for us, one of the biggest impacts of the pandemic has really highlighted how for how technology um, is required and technology upgrades are going to continue to be required into the future. We've brought in new phone systems. They require often um, higher level computers than we've been running. For many nonprofits, those aren't things that are part of our core budgets or funding. And so we replace our computers really slowly. Um, so a great way that the computer or the computer, the computer, the community can support us is um, certainly donations and funding, but you can see information on our website. Um, and we've been specifically fundraising um, to raise money for technology and new computers to help our volunteers and staff work remotely um, to help us purchase mm. those things. Um, we also have been doing drives for clients for um, warm clothing and some of those things. So those are things that we take and masks. Um, yeah, those are those are wonderful ways that the community can help us. So listeners, now more than ever, uh, clinic is in need of donations for technology. Um, all businesses and especially charities going to work virtual there's this need to get that, that new technology and investment 
into giving better care um, as clinics. Sounds like they do an incredible job. Um, Nicole, I like to finish off the interviews with, with a question that's, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever done for you? I have to tell you that we have a donor um, over the last two years that has done something unheard of to me. Um, and that is that they've walked in unannounced with a check um, for a, a very lovely amount, a, a, a large, generous gift um, with no want to be recognized um, because of a, an experience they had, an interaction that they had with clinic um, that they felt changed some trajectory in, in their their family and life. And um, they've now done that two years in a row. And it's, it's, uh, it's a kindness that uh, moves me greatly in that, um, you know, I mean, you donation, like it's a wonder to me, it's amazing whenever anybody gives you money, like that's an amazing thing. People are giving away something that like is so, but, um, that that sort of like just you know this 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 kind of thing doesn't happen very often um and i find it i find it very moving and it's it's uh it's just an incredible kindness that that moves me greatly yeah yeah hopefully we get uh, more of that for you nicole in 2021 thank you so much for helping run a great organization and sounds like incredibly impactful for our community. So we're really th thankful that you do what you do. Thank you for having me. It's been lots of fun. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Community of Big Hearts with Stu Starkey. If you know someone in your community who is a leader doing great things and driving change, a contributor who is on a passionate mission to help their community through a nonprofit or a foundation, or a community member just doing their part to make their community a better place, please send Stu an email and let him know and Maybe they can be featured on a future episode of the Community of Big Hearts. You can email Stu at stu at twosmallmen.com. Again, that's stu at twosmallmen.com. Thank you again for listening.